Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning on this uh, smoky Saturday morning up here in Fort Collins. I'll tell you what, the sky is uh, blotted out up here, so we're hoping that... uh, Hoping things clear out here soon, and we're going to get some updates on how the fire is affecting some of the local opportunities here, too, in just a minute. Uh, hopefully, you're all staying safe. Any of you listening to this or we're in the evacuation areas, our uh, our thoughts are with you, and hopefully we get through this okay and, uh, and move on. So we're looking forward to that. In the long term, these fires are going to rejuvenate our woods. We're going to get rid of a lot of beetle kill, but that doesn't... Uh, that doesn't minimize what people are going through right now and people facing losses and disruption of their life. Uh, we have a short show for you today because of college football. We did put that up on our Facebook chan- our Facebook page. If you follow us on Facebook at Terry Wickstrom Outdoors, we try to keep you up to date on not only what's going on in this show, but if we have any changes, sometimes we do a schedule change because of football. But uh, we try to keep you up to date, and we a lot of the information you get on the show ends up on our Facebook page. And follow us on our YouTube channel, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. Uh, we have a lot of great local stuff coming up there, including ice fishing. And speaking of ice fishing, next week, uh, Steve Panaz is going to join us and talk about a special ice fishing program that they're going to do on Facebook that's going to go on for several weeks. So stay tuned for that. Let's go right to the phones now. And joining us, uh, he's been a fill-in host for years. He's a frequent contributor you hear him on the Tightline Outdoors segment a lot. Tightline, I'm sorry. You hear him on the uh, on the uh, Fishful Thinker segment, and that's Ronnie Castellani. Good morning, Ronnie. Good morning, Terry. How you doing this morning? Doing well. And the reason I said Tightline, we just got a word from Nate that I guess Spinning Mountain has closed. So want to tell people if they're heading over there that uh, you might want to check that first. Looks like they've closed that for the year. And I know you want to talk about taking advantage of this low water to improve your fishing year-round, but I think you went out and got some reports about what's happening here locally with the fires. Is that right? Yeah, Terry. Let's go over that stuff real quick. Uh, I talked to Mark Hoffman this morning up in Lamar County, um, and this is the information he relayed to me this morning. Um, As far as closures go, uh, Carter Lake is closed completely. Uh, There's no access to Carter right now. Flat Iron Reservoir and Pinewood Reservoir are both closed as well in that same area. So uh, if you were thinking about going to that area to go fishing or hiking, that is all completely closed. As far as Horsetooth Reservoir, um, Horsetooth Reservoir is open for boating. Um, There is access right now in South Bay and along the east side of the reservoir. That area of the park is open, and you can access that. However, the west side of the park is closed. Lori State Park on the west side is completely closed. And like Horsetooth Mountain Park and all that kind of area there, all of that is closed. So there's no access there. Um, As far as the boating situation at Horsetooth, they just went on to their uh, their fall hours. So the boat ramp is going to be open from 8 a.m. to 4 p.m., and it's just the South Bay ramp that's open. 
And uh, the other thing to note is that the water level is getting pretty low up there on those ramps. It looks like either today or tomorrow they're going to be switching to the swim beach ramp. Uh, the other ramps are, are going to be closed. One thing to note about that swim beach ramp, if you've never been up there and utilized that ramp, Terry, um, one, you've got to be pretty good at backing your trailer down that ramp. That's not an easy ramp to get up and down on. And so if you struggle to back a trailer, you're going to want to just kind of stay away from horse tooth. The other thing is that with the low water levels, uh, large boats can be difficult to get on and off the trailers as well, Terry. So, yeah, it sounds like there's, a, you know, really plan ahead with all these things. And, you know, I imagine because of the closures on the canyons and the roads, you know, we've got no fishing on the Poudre River virtually and the Big Thompson also. Uh, is Boyd doing okay? Have you been over there lately? Yeah, I was at Boyd not too long ago. And, uh, boy, the water level's pretty good still. It's dropped a little bit. But there is uh, plenty of water on the ramp there. Fishing has been kind of hit or miss, which is sort of, you know, classic for this time of year, Terry. You can get there one day and really, and really uh, you know, catch them good. But you get there the next day and you can struggle. Um, we, we were out and we saw water temperatures in the low 60s, upper 50s. And uh, that's the same thing we were seeing on horse tube yesterday, Terry. Um, so yeah, fishing's definitely good there. A lot of the weeds and the trees and everything are, are out of the water on uh, Boyd. However, there is quite a bit of the submerged vegetation still left in the lake. And when we were on the lake, we just kind of ran around and targeted all that submerged vegetation and we were catching largemouth uh, doing that, Terry. Um, do you have, a, have you heard how long they intend to keep the ramps open at Boyd? Usually they go through November, Terry, so I haven't heard any difference, but the usual MO is uh, end of November at that lake. All right. So anyway, we're getting to a point in time because water levels are dropping, weather's changing, activities dropping, that uh, you need to really check before you go somewhere, and especially if you're going to go try to launch a boat. Now, if you're going shore fishing, it's a little different. There's some access. Just make sure you can get to the areas because of the fires or closed parks. But you take advantage of being on shore this time of the year, Ronnie, to uh, go out and do your prep work for fishing all year long, don't you? Absolutely, Terry. And, you know, that's kind of an advantage we have here in this state is that we do fish a lot of reservoirs and our water levels do fluctuate. And, you know, you hear people complain about the water levels going low. Um, I, I personally, I enjoy it when the water drops out of our lakes as long as we can still access them because it really gives me an opportunity to get out there and study the structure on a particular body of water. So a lake like Horsetooth, which is, you know, right now, let's say 50 to 60 feet low, there's a lot of the structure that you'd be fishing, you know, throughout the entire year has popped up out of the water right now. So it gives an angler an opportunity to get out there, visually kind of study that stuff, Get out if you can and, and kind of walk and utilize your phone and utilize a handheld GPS to drop some waypoints, drop some trails, uh, maybe take some pictures, things like that. Uh, you know, to give you an example, you know, it, it had been probably six years or so since Force Tooth had, had gotten this low, Terry. Um, you know, that... we lost you there, Ronnie. You okay? You still there? <laughs> You're you're cutting out on us, Ronnie. I can't hear you. Well, hopefully, can we get a, try to get a better connection with Ronnie there yet? Hey, Terry, it's Kyle. Yeah, he disconnected, so let me reconnect him real quick, okay? All right. 
yep, we'll try to get Ronnie back. Yeah, we lost Ronnie. And Ronnie was talking about going along the shorelines and marking places that haven't been out of the water for a long time. You know, before we had the mapping that we have on our GPS units now, and before we had, uh, we used just paper maps. And I used to actually walk reservoirs like Horsetooth, and I would take pictures. We didn't have phones to take pictures back in like the 90s or, you know, during some of these major drawdowns. And I would take pictures and, and, and note the GPS coordinates from a handheld GPS. And then I would actually put those pictures right on a map, a paper map. I would clip them or staple them to a paper map. And I'd be able to pull into an area and really, really visualize what was going on in that area. So you pull into an area, you look at it with your depth finder, and you get an idea, but you're still looking from above the water. And even with the mapping features we have now, and, you know, is Ronnie back? I'm here, Terry. All right, Ronnie. Come on. I was just kind of explaining what you're going, but go ahead. Sorry we had a little glitch there. We lost you. No problem, Terry. Yeah, just like you were mentioning, uh, that's basically what I've been doing, you know, for years and years. And, uh, you know, this year, for example, Terry, uh, I I started fishing waypoints that I hadn't really fished in, you know, since probably 2013, 2014. These are waypoints that I I had put down when the lake had dropped another 20, 25 feet from where it is right now, Terry. And those are the waypoints that have really paid the bills for me this, this year, Terry, as the waters drop back down. Those are the ones that have been at the right depth. So, you know, taking advantage of the low water, understanding what's going on out there, marking the rock piles, marking the humps, uh, marking the transitions, the transitions from rock to gravel, uh, you know, that kind of a thing, or the transitions from the gravel to the dirt. All of those things are very, very important this time of year, Terry. And uh, being able to mark that stuff is, is really an advantage that we have here in the state as far as understanding these reservoirs and learning a body of water. Oh, you're absolutely right, because, you know, there's, there's something to be said about the spot on the spot. And a lot of times we'll pull up, we'll use our mapping on our sonar, we'll use our, our GPS, and we'll pull into areas where we know there's a brake line or even a rock pile that we know, but maybe one we don't know that we've gone out and looked at before. And we try to visualize it in our mind. If we drive over it with a boat a lot of times, we'll spook the fish. So you want to stay off of it so you can cast to it without even getting on top of it. But you're still not sure of the shape of it. Well, if you've gone out, taken a picture that you can pull up on your phone and look at that and study it, you're going to see those little spots that are going to be the more high percentage spots than at any other time. Or you're going to see that ditch that comes up that you might miss going over with your sonar because it's, your cone is too wide, that there's that little ditch that a fish might kind of tuck down into. It's just uh, it's amazing the detail you can find and how it affects your fishing, Ronnie. Yeah, it really is, Terry. And just like you're saying, the spot on spot, that's kind of an old fishing term there. That's, that's paid the bills a lot of times for me, Terry, where I pulled into an area that other guys have been on or there's other boats fishing. And uh, just the fact that I understand, you know, just the small nuances of what's going on at the water, I'm able to really kind of, you know, 
pick apart those areas and get the fish and be a little bit more precise. And modern technology definitely makes that a lot easier, the side scan, the down scan, the, the, the front imaging and all that kind of stuff. But visually seeing it with your eyeballs, getting out and walking if you can, Terry, getting out and walking, um, I can tell you that, you know, from a boat, like on a lake like Horseshoes, if you're visually looking at the shoreline and looking at those rocks um, from a distance, you know, if you're 100 yards away from them, it's tough to tell, you know, how big that stuff is. But if you get out and you walk up to it, that, that rock that from a distance maybe only looked like, you know, it was a few feet, you get up next to it and you realize this thing's the size of a SUV, you know, it's a big old boulder sitting here that kind of a thing so uh you know spend some time uh put in the work and it'll definitely pay you off in the long run as far as being a better angler well you know and don't i don't want to limit people to just being in a boat too these techniques are great for the shorebound anglers because right a lot of times you walk along the shore and you have no idea where the deeper water is uh, when you're casting out from shore are there any rock piles are there any humps are there any drop-offs now's a great time to go to some of the even small ponds and lakes that you fish and mark those features and kind of get an idea from the shore where they are and make some notes on them because now when you go walk the shore when that lake is full of water you're going to know hey there's a hole right off here where a bass might drop into or i've got a drop off here that the the fish are going to move up against or i can see where bait would hold over here just makes a world of difference ronnie um before i let you go uh, any, I know you've been playing around making some lures. They're, I think you call them the Ronnie darter. They're kind of like a Johnny darter and like a, a jigging wrap. That presentation has really been working the last few years, hasn't it? Yeah, it really has, Terry. And, you know, just what you were talking about before that, as far as understanding shore access, that that really comes into play at a lake like Horseshoe, for example, all winter long. You know, once, once the lake closed to boating, uh, last year and the year before, we, we did a lot of fishing, uh, you know, in the middle of winter where we were getting out and we were throwing those darter-style baits from the bank. Um, however, you know, they're very, very snaggy presentations, Terry, and, and unless you really know what you're casting at and where you're casting into, you're going to snag those and you're going to lose them a lot and you're going to get frustrated. So, um, you know, last year the water was real, real high. This year with the water being down 60 feet, I can visually see the areas I was standing and see where I was casting to and understand why I was getting snagged when I was casting at this angle and why I wasn't getting snagged when I was casting at the other angle. So, you know, paying attention to that, seeing where the steep banks are, seeing where those transitions kind of funnel off into the lake, where it turns to rock and then where it turns to dirt. Uh, what we were doing last year, what we'll be doing this winter is we'll be standing on the real steep banks, making real long casts out, allowing those lures to fall, you know, 50, 60 feet of water onto the gravel, onto the dirt, working them maybe a third of the way back to the shore, and then reeling them in once we get to the boulders, once we get to the rocks. Because if you try to work them through that stuff, you're just going to snag them. So right now, you know, you can study that. You can see all that. You can kind of plan ahead, Terry, just like you were talking about, and be able to do that from the shore as well. All right, Ronnie, we are out of time, but if you, another point, if you get out to these spots first, you might find all those lures Ronnie lost last time. Ronnie, we got to go. <laughs> if people want to get a hold of you, how would they do it? Uh, you can get a hold of me, uh, Ronnie at Fishful Thinker. You can find me, Ronnie Kessley, on Facebook. Uh, we're starting to book trips for next year, and, uh, you know, give me a shout. Let's get you out on the lake. 
All right, my friend, we'll talk to you again very soon. Ronnie Castiglione right, from thanks, Fishful Thinker. You bet, from Fishful Thinker. We'll take a quick time out. When we come back, we're going to take you to Bar Lake and see what's going on there on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. And the thunder Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear. Locations up and down the front range, whether you're kayaking, fishing, hunting, hiking, camping, or even grilling, they can take care of your needs. Stop by and check out a Jack's near you. Let's go right to the phones. And joining us from Bar Lake is Michelle Siebert. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? I'm doing great, and how are things at Bar Lake? I know we want to talk about some specific activities, but let's get a general overview. I know your water level's low. What's the status there, and what kind of boats can we use? What's going on? For sure. So to start off with, Bar Lake is located just 25 minutes east of Denver, so we're a quick day trip. Um, you know, our lake is used for irrigation, so our, our water levels have been low this year. Um, we're still open to hand launch only um, until the last day will be October 31st, so another week or so. Um, and it's about 200 yards of a walk to get to the lake, so you just have to know that. Um, we are under a public fish salvage, which means there are no fishing limits on size or number during daylight hours. Um, and that will go on until we start getting water in, and hopefully that will be November 1st. All right, so we got still have plenty of opportunities there, though. I mean, you've got huge – I mean, the fishing can still be very good. <clears throat> you've got a great picnic areas. You've got a great visitor interpretive center there. And uh, you still get a lot of bald eagles? We do. You know, I was out on patrol the other day, and I was on top of the dam, and one landed right behind me. So, you know, we get a lot of wintering bald eagles, so they really do start to come here in the winter time, December through – um, like February is the best, you know, we still have, um, you know, a pool of water. Um, there's still fish in there. So I think our eagle population will be fine. Um, you know, they start to nest right around Valentine's Day. And last year we actually had two nests. So we'll see how that works out this year. But, you know, it's a great time to get out, enjoy the weather. It's a little bit cooler. Um, the bird migration is, you know, still going on. Our nature center has lots of exhibits. And, you know, our archery range is open. We have a, a standing range and a, our 3D walking range. Yeah, and for the people who were out and missed that key shot this year, what a time to get some practice in because you're probably not as crowdy, crowded. And those 3D ranges are so good because you get to take – describe your 3D range a little bit. Yeah, so there's 10 stations, and they have a variety of targets. Um, and it, it starts out flat and then goes down in a ravine and then back up on top. So there is that different elevation. And this year we're working on a a, a um, lifted platform that you can shoot from. It'll be much like the one that's at North Sterling State Park, but we have funding for that. And then we also have funding. We ordered um, a lot of new targets, um, 3D targets. So they'll be here um, right around November 1st. All right, that's awesome. But there's an opportunity out there that I don't know if a lot of people understand because half of the lake is actually a wildlife sanctuary for birds, but you do have waterfall hunting opportunities. Is that right? We do. You know, Bar Lake is unique where we do have that opportunity. Um, There's 14 blinds that are behind our dam. You do have to call and make a reservation. Um, For the month of October, we're only hunting on Saturdays um, because of some construction on the dam. But the rest of the waterfowl season, we should be hunting Wednesday and Saturdays. 
Um, so it is a great opportunity. You don't have to go far. You know, we're just east of Denver. You can come out. Um, if you don't have a reservation, a lot of times what happens is people will check out from the morning hunt, and then you can get in on the afternoon evening hunt. So there is that opportunity, but it's always best to call um, and go to our website to make that reservation. So they make the reservation right on the website. How far in advance can they do that? 14 days. 14 days. And I would think because you have the lake and the open water and the sanctuary area that at times you can get pretty good traffic of both geese and ducks. Is that right? It is. You know, and we're waiting for that, you know, big cold spell to bring in the geese. There's not a lot of flying right now. But, um, you know, usually November is a better month for us. So it is um, Passover shooting. So they're not landing um, by the blind. So it's a little bit different of a hunt. But, you know, it's a great opportunity. It really is. Somebody wants to get started. And because it's Passover shooting, you don't need a dog to retrieve your, your if you get some or not, you can walk out and get them, which makes it, I think, is that true? You don't need to get in the water to retrieve then, right? You don't, because there's there's some, a series of canals and a tow ditch behind um, the dam, and there are there is water sometimes in them, not always. Um, so, yeah, you don't need a dog because you're they're not going into the lake. They're landing right in the field where you're at. So, um, and it's also not necessary to bring all the decoys. You don't have to haul them all out there. Um, they don't really work for that. Yeah, area. and that's a great, great place to get a, a youth started in a potential waterfall hunting because virtually all he needs is some warm clothing and a shotgun, and and you can get into those blinds and hopefully have a little bit of luck. It's just a great opportunity, and you know. Parks and Wildlife provides waterfall opportunities up and down the Front Range. Michelle, we've got to run, but thank you so much for joining us and talking about the opportunities at Bar Lake. Of course. Have a great day. Thank you. That's Michelle Siebert from Bar Lake. Before we go to the next break, I do want to mention that one of our favorite partners, um, A&A Toppers, is having a huge, huge sale uh, through the month of October, and we've been kind of lax in mentioning it. They're giving $100 off on uh, on toppers, and they've got $100 discount on keyless remotes. They've got $100 discounts on a lot of racks like Yakima, Thule, and Rhino. Uh, and they've got either a free tip-down or removable front window on a topper going on, which is worth about 100 bucks. So go to ANA Toppers at their website, aatoppers.com, and, and check them out if you get a chance. They've been great partners in supporting this show. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, uh, still growing up and having fun. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear, with locations in Fort Collins, Loveland, Lafayette, Broomfield, and Cheyenne. If you're an outdoor enthusiast, or even if you just like to grill or go for a hike, you need to stop by a Jack's near you. Let's go right to the phones. Joining us today is one of our go-to resources, especially this time of the year. He's always a wealth of information on the show, and that's Ed Gorman. Good morning, Ed. Good morning, Terry. How are you today? You know, I'm doing okay. It's a little smoky up here in Fort Collins, but I think we'll get through it. Um, you know, I made a comment earlier in the morning that as tragic as these fires are, uh, they're going to eventually restore a lot of habitat that was beetle killing things. So hopefully long-term, this will be a blessing. Right now, of course, it's disrupting people's lives and destroying property, and we hate to see that. But these forests need to be rejuvenated once in a while, and uh, hopefully we'll see that. Uh, it's it's certainly of, been a difficult season, hasn't it? Oh, it really has. And 
speaking of habitat and things like that, you know, we've had pretty good upland game seasons, some some exceptional ones even maybe in the last 10, 12 years. And we've had a couple down ones, but we've bounced back. We've had some incredible hunting. We kind of had the perfect storm come together this year uh, with the same drought that's contributing to these fires with some changes to uh, crops and things to uh, we're looking to probably going to be a challenging upland game season this year. Is that right? Yeah, certainly. The uh, The weather pendulum has swung to the extreme um, across the across the eastern plains for sure. And uh, when we get as dry as we are, um, things get really challenging really fast um, in terms of pheasant hunting and quail hunting. So um, it, it is it is kind of what it is at this point. It's just kind of waiting for the pendulum to swing back. Yeah, and we know that happens. And there were also some other changes in the regulations and CRP and the, the use of this some of the grass and CRP for grazing and the necessary use by the farmers. And all those things kind of came together to affect it, didn't they? Yeah, and that's that's commonly how it happens when it gets super dry. Um, you know, that we, we uh, the federal agencies enact an emergency grazing and emergency haying stipulation and CRP. So um, we tend to lose a lot of cover in those years. And uh, that's problematic on a number of fronts, but it's absolutely necessary as well um to to help folks out so it's it is a perfect storm for pheasants and quail though it really is now when people go out hunting on a and a good year probably 70 80 percent of the birds harvest are hatched that year um we've had some pretty good hold over of adult birds the last few years in colorado although they're a little more difficult to hunt they're smarter what is the situation? Is it going to be spotty? Are there going to be some good spots you're going to have to put in time? Or are we going to be hunting mostly holdover birds? What do you what do you look at? What does it look like out there? I think all of the above, Terry. It's it's definitely going to be spotty, um, very spot specific um, in terms of where you're going to find birds and, and the types of habitat that they're going to they're going to be found in. Um, I fully expect lots and lots of uh, adults in the harvest this year. Um, you know. Like you said, in a good year, uh, in a really good year, when the population is high, it's generally 70 75% juvenile birds in the harvest. Um, it'll be less than that this year, significantly for less, probably less than half, or maybe half, maybe 50% um, birds of the year. So it's yeah, it's it's definitely a different year. Um, it's, it's, it's a year to uh, have spent some time um, thinking about how you're going to hunt pheasants and brushing up on your shotgunning skills and thinking about tactics. And it's, it's one of those years where, you know, the, the, the more prep you do, the better off you'll be. And the segment after you go off, we're going to actually have the folks from Colorado Clays come on, and they're going to give some, some shotgunning tips to us to help us be more successful. And that you're, ab- you're absolutely right. We're going to be hunting more educated birds and have less opportunities. So you really need to make those shots pay off, and that takes practice. And we'll get more into that in the next segment. But also, you need to put in time. Probably difficult to scout right now, so you're going to have to probably put in time in the field. Is that what you think? Well, I think that'll help. I mean, certainly if, if you have the occasion to be out uh, in eastern Colorado early in the morning, um, you can you can see birds at this time of the year um, as they kind of get out in the sunshine and catch some catch some warm sun early in the morning. Um, that's that's a tried and true tactic to finding good numbers of birds. Um, I don't think you're going to find large numbers of them this year. We sure haven't. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a good opportunity. Um, 
to do that if, if you have time. If not, um, now is the time to kind of think about habitat and, and go through those mental reps of uh, how you hunt fields and making your making yourself uh, be quiet when you pull up to a field and those types of things. That all pays off in the end. Yeah, really. the The days of slamming the door and getting out there late are probably not going to be too not going to be too successful this year. You're going to have to really. Well, you know what? It's good. you're going to have to hunt this year. It's not going to be easy, yeah. and you know it, it's still hunting, and you're going to have to do things right. But when you do it right and you're successful, it's going to be more rewarding, Ed. So that's one of yep. the things. Now, as far as when we do get out there and hunt, there's a couple areas. You have a tremendous walk-in access area that I want to talk about in just a minute. But also, this might be the year to knock on a few farmers' doors, don't you think? Yeah, I think so. Every year is a is a good year to to, to try to find permission somewhere um, other than on public areas. Um, you certainly set yourself up for success if you can if you can find a couple of farms or a couple of fields even of, of private land to where you can hunt on where the where the hunting pressure is a little less. Um, you're you're really setting yourself for success. And I, I like, you know, I kind of think of it as every year ask three or four people at, at the minimum and, uh, you know, be, be respectful and, and be presentable and have a nice conversation and eventually you get around to pheasant hunting or, or deer hunting or what it doesn't matter. Regardless, it's, it's all the same um, ultimately. And, you know, eventually you're going to find a place that, uh, that welcomes you and, and then it's your challenge becomes keeping the place, um, which is almost 100% of your control at that point. So. It's just one of those. Uh, it's one of those things you're gonna have to set your mind to do every year, and maybe you give up 45 minutes or an hour of peasant hunting at the end of the day, or over the noon hour, or something like that, and it may pay off huge um, as you go down the road. Well, especially for new people getting out where they might get some land where there aren't other hunters around and hasn't been pushed, the birds haven't been pushed around, it could really pay off. But there's still a tremendous program in Colorado that people need to take advantage of, and that's our walk-in access program. Do we have quite a bit of area under that this year? Yeah, we've actually increased area this year. Um, farmers were real um, interested in putting their lands in, uh, walk-in this year, so we're we're sitting right now at 223,000 acres, which is about a 50,000 acre increase from last year. Uh, a lot of that is open for uh, small game and big game hunting. Um, we've increased that amount to around 160,000 acres this year. So there's tons of opportunity, um, tons of places to look for birds. It's kind of once we once we get them leased and get get them on paper, um, it's kind of up to the hunter at that point to to go out and find the spots that they're going to be really good. Um, it's, but it is a great opportunity. You don't have to get permission or anything. It's once the signs are up and it's in the booklet and those things match up, you are uh, free to hunt. And one of the areas of the walk-in access, you partnered with Pheasants Forever to go after what's called the conservation corners. Those might be critical this year. Yeah, certainly. Uh, Pheasants Forever um, and CPW got into a, a partnership many, many years ago. And the, the latest iteration of that was the Corners for Conservation partnership um, whereby we would approach landowners with sprinkler corners and, and talk to them about habitat improvement and uh, walk-in access and to date we have signed up uh, 522 of those um, totaling about 4,200 acres across the plains um, from basically Sedgwick County all the way to Kit Carson County and on further south on that in a few cases um, so yeah and those are real critical this year when we when we come up with the, the idea of the program um, that the idea was to make them the best of the best habitat out there. Um, and, and I think we have done that um, to a large degree. 
and those uh, aren't allowed to be uh, grazed or hayed, so they're they're still standing. And you know they're probably reduced in quality from the past years because it simply didn't rain this summer. But uh, they're still going to be the kind of the jewels out there of the program. No, I think you're right. This year, that habitat might be critical. We're almost out of time, Ed, but I know you mentioned that you've got big game walk-in access. I know you wanted to kind of mention that again. What What's the deal on the big game walk-in access? So we're in our second year of, of this program, and uh, we've, we've gotten great response from the landowners um, that are willing to open their land to, uh, to hunters to hunt things like antelope and deer as well. Uh, most of the program is is geared towards deer right now, particularly mule deer, um, although there are some whitetails out in that part of the world. Um, most of the land that we enroll in walk-in access is the CRP land, and so that kind of lends itself to uh, mule deer for sure. And it's been real successful so far. I mean, I've gotten all kinds of pictures and emails and texts from folks that have drawn a license and went out and hunted that stuff, and uh, they've done real well. They're, they seem to be real happy, so... If, if people want more information on all the walk-in access, is it online and the brochure? What's the best way to find it? Yeah, so go uh, in, a, in, a, in a week or so here, um, week to 10 days, we'll have the brochure online and updated um, with all the recent information. Um, you can always go on right now and pick up last year's brochure. It won't do you any good for this year, but it'll give you a sense for what the program offers and some of the regulations and some of the facts. And, and you can always apply those across years. You can't apply the properties between years. Um, you'll definitely, before the season, you want to pick up the 2020 late cropland brochure, which will have every walk-in access parcel in it. Um, save a few that just came in last week. Um, we kind of missed the date on those. But uh, they're two good opportunities to pass up. So um, get the brochure, get the late cropland 2020 brochure when it's online or in licensed agents. It'll be 10, 14 days away at this point. Um, but we still have plenty of time before the season starts. So you pick that up and then uh, about – about the time, you know, maybe Thanksgiving rolls around, you might check for any updates um, on the online side because we will find things that weren't drawn quite quite right or, uh, you know, a parcel got missed somehow. Um, we put those online every year. So you just go and look at the maps and you can see which maps have been updated. And uh, then you can print those off and stick them in your booklet and you have the most up-to-date uh, property guide out there. All right, Ed, we are out of time, but thank you so much. As always, great information, and uh, we appreciate you coming on. Hopefully people will still take advantage. It will be a little challenging, but there are going to be great hunting opportunities out there, and we didn't even get into the fact that you can hunt quail and cottontail and prairie chickens out there yet, too. So there's a number of opportunities. Thanks for joining us, Ed. Thank you, Terry. Have a good day. You bet. That's Ed Gorman. We're going to take a quick time out. We come back. Jr. from Colorado Clays is going to join us, and he's going to tell you how to take advantage of those when you do get a chance to shoot at a pheasant. All that and more. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Jack's Outdoor Gear on 104.3 The Fan. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Let's go right to the phones because I have a lot of information I want to cover with this gentleman. That's J.R. Pierce from Colorado Clays. Good morning, J.R. Good morning, Terry. Hey, you know, listening to uh, Ed, uh, there's going to be lots of opportunities, but they're going to be challenging this year, and I know you're going to help people. We're going to talk about maybe helping be a little more successful with their pheasant hunting. But before we get to that, we still have rifle uh, deer and elk seasons going on. Are you still helping people sight in and get their scopes lined up? Yeah, Terry. And, you know, 
so many folks enjoy Colorado clays year-round because we do have that unlimited open to the public shooting. Um, but, you know, each fall we do have that rush of hunters getting ready for season. And, Terry, once again, Colorado clays came through with the finest uh, big game preparation format anywhere, which, of course, includes our state-of-the-art facility featuring that video viewing system for real-time sight-in, which is priceless, 50-yard intermediate targets for quick dial-in um, and muzzle loaders, And, of course, we are a muzzleloader-friendly facility with that open-air shooting area. And then we talked about those um, clinics. You know, we have the most comprehensive sight-in clinics available. And last but not least on that, uh, the finest staff in the industry. And, yes, Terry, to answer your question, we're still helping bunches of Colorado outdoorsmen and women get their guns sighted in for the seasons coming up. And, uh, Terry, even our pistol range, we got a, had some folks in here doing some pistol sight-in for a hog hunt, which sounds really fun. And we are, as usual, already hearing success stories, and we just love seeing those pictures. So it's been a great fall, Terry. Uh, it really has. I want to dive into the pheasants because we're limited on time today. But if I'm going pheasant hunting and I need my shots to count, we'll talk about the type of practice. But I think first got to know that I'm shooting the right loads with the right chokes. What kind of questions do you have to ask people? And then do you head for your patterning board first? Yeah, well, Terry, and, and that's a good point. I've been doing this for a lot of years. And people do come up with me for all kinds of questions as far as their um, shotgun uh, relative to upland game hunting. And, of course, the first thing, and what I've always said most important, you hear it all the time, point of aim, point of impact. A person has to verify that when you're in a good stance, have a good sight picture, and you're on a target, that your pattern is going to be covering your target. So the pattern board is obviously the first place to go. Uh, lots of folks want to know, well, what chokes should I use? Uh, what type of gun, this and that? Well, those are all dependent on a whole list of variables from literally the type of gun. If you have a single barrel or a double barrel, you have two choke options with a double, of course. Uh, what kind of range are you going to be shooting? Are you hunting over dogs? Are you going to be shooting at passing driven birds or walking? And, of course, you know, your ammo uh, shot size determines uh, how many pellets you have. And really what it boils down to, you can go up to the Colorado Clays patterning area um, and shoot at closest to longest ranges you expect to shoot based on your ability or the conditions. And that make sure that you have adequate pellet density, uh, which means, you know, the right number of pellets on target to deliver the energy and the uh, clean, efficient kill you're looking for. So the beauty of our patterning area too, Terry, is you're shooting a full 42-inch um, sheet of cardboard with an aiming point. So you can see not just pattern density, you can see overall pattern diameter. And a lot of folks will keep those and make notes, take them home and study them. So this is definitely the first place to start for any kind of hunt. Now, after I learn what my load does, what is a common load? Seven and a half, sixes? What do people leave? I mean, it depends on, like you said, how far they want to shoot. But is there one that seems predominant for upland game? Uh, the most common, now it depends, of course, if you're shooting quail and stuff, I see a lot of seven and a half and six shot. But for pheasants and the bigger birds, um, it, it does seem that sixes and fives are the most common. But I will do everything from seven and a halves through fours. Um, sixes and fives seem to be the preference based on the average person's expectations for 
um, distances they're going to be shooting, and uh, you know pellets they want on target. Those two seem to be pretty dominant. Now, you guys have skeet, you have trap, you have clays out there. What's the best shooting discipline for me to practice for Upland game? Okay, well, that's a good question. So, Terry, you know, we've talked about it a lot of times. Any trigger time and any practice is good preparation. Um, and like I said, uh, trap, great area to go. Skeet, great game. Sporting clays never go wrong. But when we start talking specifically about upland game preparation, uh, there is just nothing that compares to a wobble trap. And that wobble trap that's overlaid onto our skeet fields is a ground-level trap house, has a machine in it. And that machine oscillates left to right and up and down randomly. So wherever that machine is when you call for a bird is the angle and elevation you get, which is random, so therefore it is the perfect up game practice. And uh, that is our number one uh, preferred preparation for upland. So if I'm coming out to Colorado Clays and I want to get in uh, some wobble trap, what is it going to cost me? Uh, uh, it's just crazy how inexpensive it is, Terry. So uh, $7.50 a round for, for shooting the wobble trap, and that's 25 targets. So you can go through an entire box of shells, uh, practice 25 um, shots for $7.50. That, that's ridiculous. He's telling you that's too cheap. Hey, JR, we are going to run out of time here. We got shortened up because of a college football game. But if people want more information or come out and take advantage of it, tell them how they find you. Uh, give us a call, Terry, 303-659-7117. Or go to the website, coloradoclays.com. Uh, check us out. Take the virtual tour. And then uh, come on out and see us. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again very soon. And you and I need to get on the water and catch some fish while there's still time. All right, let's make it happen before it turns to ice. All right. All fish on the ice, that's okay. okay. But all right, we'll talk to you soon, JR. Thanks, Terry. You bet. We're going to start wrapping things up here. We are having a shortened show today because of a college football game. You know, COVID has moved some of the college football games around and there's been some last minute rescheduling and unfortunately we got caught up in that a couple times it may happen again we're looking out at the schedule trying to mitigate that as much as possible we may even do some time changes one saturday but if you follow us on facebook at terry wickstrom outdoors we will keep you posted on any time changes on the show and we'll also tell you what's going to be coming up on the show like if you were following us on facebook you would have known ed gorman was going to come up today and give us our annual upland game update what a tremendous resource ed is and of course we had ronnie castiglione talking about taking advantage of the low water the one thing i do want to you know we heard that spinning mountain closed today from tight line outdoors so you're going to have to start really planning if you're going fishing right now and hunting because of the fires because of low water uh, it's just affecting the habitat a lot so we need to be very conscious of where we're going and plan ahead uh, right now, you can launch a boat at Horsetooth, but you can't get to the shore on the west side. You can get to the shore on the east side, and the launching at Horsetooth is going to get more difficult because the water level is low, and they're going to move to the ramp through the um, through the swim beach, but there's some really good fishing. Karen and I went out there and got into some really good smallmouth using, like, jigging wraps or Johnny darters, and I'm talking 15- to 20-inch smallmouth, and Ronnie got some really nice walleyes out there. Boyd is still in good shape with water, 
Um, check anywhere you're going the water with the water levels and the fires. You know, you can't fish most of the Poudre River or the Big Thompson right now. You can't even access those roads. So be very cautious. Plan ahead. Go outdoors. Take advantage. But really, really uh, plan ahead on what you're doing out there. If you get a chance, take a look at our YouTube channel, uh, The Best of Fishing with Terry Wickstrom. We're going to take you not only all over North America and down to South America on on trips, but we will take you to a lot of locations right in your backyard here, tell you what's available there, how to fish them, how to approach them, where they're located. Half those shows, there's about 150, were filmed right here in the uh, Colorado area, and we update with new shows. Karen puts up their legacy shows from our TV. Karen puts those up almost uh, almost. Uh, every other week she adds a new show to that. We're going to wrap things up. We'll let the Eagles take us to the bottom of the hour and college football on 104.3 The Fan.